0: The following is rated S for spoilers. What do you call this miracle O? Oh. In our tongue, grey glitter. In yours, something like me throud. No, no, it would be me thrill. Hello and welcome to the Popcorn Hangover. My name is Alex, and today we are discussing Amazon's Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, created by Patrick McKay, John D. Payne, starring Morphe Clark, Ismael Cruz Cordova, Charlie Vickers, Markella Kavanaugh, Megan Richards, Sears Wangbani. so many people uh, in this show. Today, I am flying solo, uh, discussing uh, a relatively controversial show uh, in my opinion I I feel like uh, either people really really love it or people really really hate it uh, my personal thoughts I really really loved this show um, I was a little skeptical at first as particularly when the first two episodes dropped I was uh, I was a little nervous. Uh, especially just considering some of the other Lord of the Rings content we've gotten since Peter Jackson's original trilogy, to be honest. Um, and I was I was worried that they were going to do lots of things wrong. And while they didn't do everything right, um, I do feel like they did most of most of the things uh, right. And I I really enjoyed it. Um, each week, I was r- highly anticipating the next episode dropping. Um, But I do understand some of the uh, critiques and complaints that others um, have had about the show. So let's just jump in to this episode and my thoughts on Rings of Power. Um, Like I said, I was a little skeptical at first, but going into it, there were a few things that I was really looking for. Um, As a major Lord of the Rings fan, um, I, I remember reading The Hobbit when I was in like the fifth grade. Um, and The Hobbit is still a book that I read pretty consistently uh, every few years uh, because to what Tolkien did in just creating this world was so imp- impressive. And no one has been able to do it to that scale um, since him. I know people have gotten close, uh, but nothing has been, nothing is quite like Lord of the Rings. And I feel like a lot of the issues that people are having with it are from people who are only familiar with. Particularly Peter Jackson's uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy of films, uh, but also are only really familiar with the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a whole, and maybe even The Hobbit as well. Uh, but there is there is so much more uh, to Tolkien in this world that he created. Uh, I remember in high school uh, we did; I was in an English class, and it was called the Culture Project, and so everyone was supposed to pick a different world culture um, or a different uh, you know, period of time uh, and find a way to present how they told stories in that culture. Um, and so most of them were kind of like origin myths, uh, origins of the universe and things like that. And so you have people telling stories of like a not seen Africa or, you know, the different versions of the Jewish and Christian um, origins and things like that. Uh, and I told my teacher, I said, Hey, um, have you heard of the Silmarillion before? And he said, I have. And I thought, well, that's kind of like the origin of a very, very uh, specific culture. I mean, while yes, it is fictional. It definitely seems very real with how in depth and everything that like Tolkien was able to create. And I was like, can I do my project on the Silmarillion? Um, and my teacher thought about it for a minute. He said, yeah, I think, I think that could work. Um, and I did. And it was super fun. Uh, I for those of you that don't know um, the Silmarillion is is kind of a collection of stories really um, but it opens with the creation of the Tolkien universe um, and part of that uh, is it's actually quite beautiful it's all about uh the the universe was created through song and so you have uh, this God I forget his name um, but basically sang everything into creation and it was it was really cool um, getting to convey that and i especially i basically just told the story uh by playing a piece of music and just talking over it um anyway i say all of that uh just to say i'm a really big lord of the rings fan and uh with that i had very very high expectations uh for this show uh especially concerning that i did kind of have some knowledge of this time period and the, and the stories that they were going to attempt to tackle um, but there are a few things that caught my my mind right off the bat, um, and I feel like one of the biggest narratives around this show uh, is the budget. Uh, assuming that they do manage to release all five seasons that they are planning, um, it will be the biggest um, the biggest budget show of all time. I saw somewhere that uh, I saw somewhere that if if they released all five seasons, they would be coming under just just under a billion dollars, but also this season alone cost them $500 million. Um, And some other sources uh, are saying that each episode cost about 60 million. Um, Guys, that's a lot of money. Uh, We've talked about movies uh, that had a smaller budget than $60 million. Um, Even Disney plus uh, Marvel and Star Wars shows typically come in about 25 million per episode. And those, Look like blockbuster films, um, and this one had a very, very large budget of sixty million per episode. And I was trying to like going into it, I was very curious as to how they were going to utilize that budget, uh, because sixty million can mean a lot of different things. Um, there's this really great YouTube channel. I'll try to link it down in the description below. I can't remember the guy's name. Um, but he does this really great series of videos that he basically says this director at, at three different budgets. And so he'll talk about how Nolan created, you know, following his first film for about 6,000. And then you have Memento, which he did for 9 million. And then you have Inception, which he did for, I want to say, 160 million, uh, you know, and how that he approached those three different levels of, of, of filmmaking using different budgets. Um, and it's, reason I say Nolan in particular is because he's been very consistent with his style and the way that he approaches filmmaking just in general uh, starting with following and going all the way up until I'm going to assume Oppenheimer when that releases in the next uh, year uh, and I I think it's very interesting how uh, you can look how different artists allocate their budgets towards different things um, and the other thing to consider as well here is that uh, this, the standard is that you spend double your budget on marketing? So, assuming that they spent sixty million per episode, uh, coming in at nearly five hundred million for the entire series, we're looking at a at a lot of money that they would have spent um, just on top of also marketing. Once you include marketing, you're looking at a ton of money that they spent on a show that every anyone gets just by having Amazon Prime. Uh, I don't pay for Prime Video. Uh, for Prime Video. I pay for it because it's also included with Amazon Prime and I like two-day shipping and all of that. Um, so I feel like Amazon does do a really good job at just, this is way off topic, but Amazon does a really great job at really creating value in their subscription, Uh, you know, getting Prime Video and I'm pretty sure you get like Audible uh, perks. There's stuff with like Twitch and you get like free games and you get Amazon Music and like they really do put a ton of value uh, into their subscription model, which is greatly appreciated. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but I'm just, I'm curious at how, how they're able to justify that. Um, because it's hard. I feel like it, it's gotta be hard to track exactly what services people are, are using to what services it is that are really like pushing people to buy, uh, a prime subscription. Um, because, like I said, I I use Prime Video solely because I have normal Amazon Prime for shopping and shipping purposes, uh, and so I wonder how they're justifying that, and if maybe I don't know is is some of their like warehouse uh, profits coming uh, some of the, some of the warehouse profits like being allocated towards making these these shows and these movies and things. Uh, that's something I really want to dive into more. And if you if you do know. Please let me know. Uh, yeah, it's a massive budget. Uh, wow, I went way on a tangent there. Uh, back to the topic at hand, the way they allocated this budget was something that I went into and was really uh, was really cognizant of as I was watching the show. Um, and what they did with that budget was m- immediately made aware to me in a few different scenarios. Um, for the majority of you that I assume don't know, uh, a lot of film budgets... Um, when they're being, you know, written down, you have your top of the line budget and you have your bottom of the line budget. Um, and top of the line, I guess you could summarize as saying, are the people who have the most direct creative control, uh, which I don't totally agree with, but i I think that's I think that's the best over all encompassing way to say that. Um, so top of the line, you're going to look at your directors, your your screenwriters, your actors, things like that. The people who are kind of the face of the movie, really. Um, and with that are going to be the most expensive, typically, um, to to hire and to get to work on the film. And then you have your bottom line, which is all of your lesser, quote-unquote lesser stuff. So your editors, your cinematographers, your crew, grips, gaffers, all that jazz. Um, and so it's interesting when you look at different films... Which do they prioritize? Do you prioritize your top of the line? Do you hire the best writers, the best directors, the best actors, or do you, do you go more bottom of the line? um, And do you focus on getting the best cinematographer or the best editor? Or um, in this case, the Rings of Powers case, one of the things that they did was they spent a ton of money on the bottom of the line and specifically in the art department. Um, When they went to Numenor in the show, which is this, Really grand, just uh, just epic place that you hear all about um, in the Lord of the Rings, and you know, with it being gone and everything, and they were these these massive, majestic people, um, and seeing Numenor in the way that uh, they they created it and they brought it to life was just magical to me. Uh, you know, having all these thoughts in my head, um, but the art department, I think might be the, the MVP of this show. Um, in my opinion, uh, as a whole, I think this is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. I feel like you can, you could screenshot any frame from this show and put it in a frame and it would be the best piece of art you have in your home. Like everything just looks so good. And I, I was constantly trying to figure out what it was. Um, and I couldn't quite put my finger on exactly what it was that they were doing that just made everything look so grand and magical and just quite frankly beautiful. Um, especially considering a lot of it was CG. There was a ton of CG in this show, um, and a few times it was it was noticeable and it wasn't amazing. Uh, but that's how CG works. Uh, but for the most part, I was really impressed. Uh, with the way this looked and I, I say the art department in particular might be the MVP because particularly when they're in Numenor, but really anywhere in the show, there's so much detail and it's, it was done so expertly, like to a point where I didn't notice it for several episodes. Um, but then once I did and I knew to actually kind of look for it, um, it was everywhere, and I can only assume I've only seen the show once. I wanted to see it twice, uh, but it's a very it's a very long show, even though it is only six episodes. Um, there's there's just so much every every inch of anything was just covered in so much detail, and it's one of those small things where, uh, like I like I said, it took me several so episodes to notice, and I feel like most people won't notice, but it's one of those those very small things that you can do as a filmmaker to really immerse somebody in the world, just, you know, introducing all of these different details and especially with the, the Asian, uh, or especially with the Aegean, like kind of style that Numenor was giving off. At least that's, that's kind of how I was feeling about it. And that kind of Greek Aegean, uh, kind of thing. Uh, a lot of the details on the walls were also telling their own stories in different ways. And it, it just, it really helps to immerse you in this world. And that's going to bring me to my second point. Uh, fantastic segue, Alex. Um, this show, I think did a really great job at honoring Tolkien and who, and what he was trying to accomplish and what, what he did accomplish uh, with his writings in this Lord of the Rings universe. And I know this is a very controversial statement because I have seen so many headlines and reviews and things saying that this is a disgrace to Tolkien. Um, And we'll get into some of the reasons why I think they're saying that later. Uh, But there were lots of creative decisions here that I think were made uh, that just, that were made with Tolkien in mind. Uh, For example, you know, just the complete immersion into this world Uh, the extra mile that was went to really, just into detail to help really immerse you into the world that you're in. Um, Tolkien could have just written a few books and given just the details that you needed to know, uh, but he didn't do that. Instead, he wrote languages and entire histories and backgrounds explaining the civilizations and governments and how they work. Um, Nobody does that. That's ridiculous. But when you do end up doing that, um, when you're telling a story in a very fantastical world, it feels super real because everything has some, has some bit of sense to it, I guess. Um, For example, uh, if we contrast this to JK Rowling and Harry Potter, who I think JK Rowling did a fantastic job at creating that world. I love the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Uh, But if you sit down and you think about it for more than five seconds, you realize that there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense uh, the politics makes zero sense the way that wizards and muggles uh, live in the same world just doesn't make sense why why do wizards have this magic and like some things are modern but most things aren't and like none of it really makes any sense and it's okay because that's kind of that's part of that world I guess but JK Rowling didn't take well she took more time than most to create that world and why I think it's so loved um she didn't take as much time as Tolkien did she didn't create entire history she mentions histories sure uh she mentions Newt's Commander and uh Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them but then whenever it comes time to actually writing those things uh we get Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them uh which I have uh behind me it and it was a complete and utter train wreck and I really hope that they just they cut it off I haven't even seen the newest one uh full transparency uh because it just makes me sad to watch uh this turned into a rant on fantastic beast. Uh, but I, I say all that just to say, like even some of the greatest world building ever done, uh, in with JK Rowling with Harry Potter, um, it still does not live up to the level that Tolkien was able to. And just with, uh, the logic that was put into creating the world, um, and making, giving everything a purpose. And, uh, Yeah. I'm going to go with that. Just giving everything a purpose and everything kind of makes sense. And there's a history there. Um, That's brilliant. And it's on a whole new level. And so how do you take that and how do you uh, translate it to the screen without Tolkien there anymore? Um, That's really difficult. And lots of people have tried. uh, I mean, if you look at Peter Jackson with the Hobbit trilogy, he tried to you know introduce more of Tolkien's world and things and Kind of tell his own story and it was Awful uh, How how can you make a three hour Movie that is based on Two and a half pages of a Book uh, and for most Of the two and a half pages of those book Your main character is, is passed out um, I don't That doesn't make any sense to me uh, And he failed Utterly uh, one of my favorite Games of all time uh, is Middle-Earth, uh, Shadow of Mordor, and Shadow of War uh, series. Uh, those games are fantastic, and it's a great way to, like, just in general, they're really great games. The gameplay is amazing. The story, uh, self-contained, is really great, But and it also kind of immerses you into this world of Lord of the Rings, you know, getting to run around and fight orcs and explore these different lanes, particularly in Shadow of War. Uh but none of it makes any sense uh you have this ranger who gets captured and then he's turned into a ghost and he teams up with the ghost of Celebrimbor, who forged the rings and they like combine to come back into the real world and get revenge on sauron but then by the end they end up like killing sauron and like Celebrimbor is like inside the eye and then talion becomes uh one of the ring rays and it just it makes zero sense and you're like wait how did you how did you get so far off um, and even some of the stuff that is really interesting like having uh, the blade of Galadriel show up and she's kind of helping you out and it, that's a cool little that's a cool idea and it's a cool concept but that's not it's not really it. that's not based on anything when you have a world that is when you have Tolkien who wrote so much and there's so much to work with uh, I'm kind of tired of all of these just random stories that are being told and these extra stories that are being told. And so I was really excited to see that we were going to go back to this other age. We were going to go and we were going to hear some of the stories um, that Tolkien had told already, uh, but also not only that Tolkien had already told, but stories that most people hadn't heard before um, and would just help enhance the experience of going through the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Um, and I was really excited for that. And I think f- for the most part, they did a really good job. Uh, however, and this is where we're going to get into a lot of people's uh, issues with the show. Uh, they didn't do a very good job. At, they didn't do a very good job at, they they tried too hard. I'm going to say to modernize it, um, which is really weird. And I think that's, I think that's the show's biggest flaw is It couldn't find the balance between honoring Tolkien and what this kind of universe was designed to look like um, and the modernization of it. Um, For example, one of the things I noticed right off the bat was the language. It was very old English and a lot of people have had issues with dialogue. And I can't help but laugh at that complaint because it's just like, I don't think they really, I don't think they got it. Um, quite frankly uh, and those are the kind of people who I think just watch the movies and that's it and that's fine if that's, that's you but I don't think they got what Rings of Power was trying to do in honoring Tolkien um, I think the old English again helped to immerse you in the experience of what this world is uh, I didn't find it very distracting at all and I think it could have easily been distracting um, but I thought I thought it was just a nice, subtle detail that enhanced my experience uh, and also felt like the world that I was in, um, in the world that Tolkien created. But that is kind of the complete opposite of modernization. Uh, you know, as some people may have been turned off by it. I know of people who... Uh, got used to it, but it was a little distracting at the beginning. Um, and I totally, I totally understand that, uh, reading Lord of the Rings, uh, despite my love for it is actually kind of difficult for me at times, uh, because I'm not a very big reader and it can be hard to get through when you have to really, really think about, at least for me, I have to really think about what all the words are trying to say, uh, because it's written in a different time. Uh, and so, I think it was cool how they still honor that. But at the same time, a lot of people have issues with, uh, the characters of this show, um, both in, particularly in the diversity. Uh, there, there there's so many people who are upset that you have diverse, uh, leaders in the show. And quite frankly, I, I just don't, I don't understand. Uh, while yes, Tolkien probably did not imagine, um, a black female uh, being the leader of being the queen of Numenor. um, I don't think that's something that completely destroys a show. Uh, I feel like that is just, that is modern storytelling uh, because why can't a black woman be the queen of Numenor? Uh, Other than the fact that in Tolkien's time, that just, that wasn't a very accepted idea. And so there is an interesting, fight between those two. Um and so at its core, I think Amazon kind of screwed themselves uh in trying to find a balance. I think I think they should have and I, I struggle I struggle to kind of I struggle with trying to decide if they made the right choice or if it would have been better for them to lean more towards one direction or the other. Do we go with honoring Tolkien? Um and just being pure honoring of Tolkien, or do we try to modernize it? Um, Finding this middle ground, I think, gives you the best of both worlds, but it also gives you the worst of both worlds. And so there's an interesting uh, dynamic that they created there, and I think that's part of where a lot of the friction is coming from. Um, And then with that, you can also add in uh, the strong female lead uh, aspect of it. Uh, When you think about it, uh, you have Galadriel, who is very different from the Galadriel that we're all used to seeing in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and uh, people have complained that uh, she isn't like she is in Lord of the Rings, but people forget that elves are immortal and that there are thousands of years uh, in between these these things. There are totally different ages. Um, and so, yeah, uh, people are going to change a little bit. Uh, but people really did not like Galadriel uh, because... She, but she was written that way because she was a strong female character and needed a strong female character. Um, And I don't think Gladwell was written very well as a a strong female character. I feel like she was very much written, and quite frankly, I think across the board, all of the strong female characters were written as a very stereotypical uh, versions of those characters. Uh, If you want to know how to... If you want a a good example of a very well-written strong female character... Uh, Sex Education uh, and the character of Maeve uh, is the perfect example. Uh, You know, just because you're strong doesn't mean you have to be... Quite frankly. doesn't mean you have to be an a-hole all the time. Uh, You can still have emotion and you can still be a person uh, and also be strong. Sometimes that emotion can be what makes you strong. Um, And I think across the board, uh, a lot of the strong female characters in this show uh, were very cookie-cutter. You know, you have Galadriel, you have... um, you have nori uh, in the Harfoots uh, you have uh the one healer lady from the village and there are, there are a lot of people who uh one of the complaints is that you know everybody has to be a strong female character because it's modern uh i don't understand why that has to be a bad thing other than other than it's very clear that uh they were written very specifically to be strong female characters and with all of the things that are going on, I don't think there was enough time to do that um, super well like it was done with Maeve and sex education. Um, and it's something that, again, th- that's a more of a modernization kind of thing. But also, like Tolkien did believe in that as well because you have characters uh, in Lord of the Rings who are very strong female characters. I mean, Galadriel, uh, I would say, is a pretty strong female character also you have eowyn from lord of the rings who is a very strong female character uh while yes she does have her issues and she's kind of uh she's very much feigning for aragorn's heart uh she's still not like she she still has a spotlight i mean she has one of the most badass lines ever i mean pulling out the helmet and saying i am no man uh that is the most like feminist thing of all time, uh, and that's in there. So I don't, I don't understand that argument, quite frankly. Uh, I don't completely agree with it, but I do want to transition, and uh, it's something I hinted at a second ago. Uh, this one of the reasons I wanted to get this episode out, even though I am, you know, here by myself, um, and I'm definitely not the most qualified to talk about uh, a show like this. I wanted to get this episode out this week. Uh, slight tease for next week uh, because I know that we're going to be referencing this episode quite a bit next week Um, and that is due to the structure of how this story was told Um, I said it before and I'll say it again my biggest issue with modern TV is the need to tell multiple stories within this one show Um, and it's I find it extremely frustrating and sometimes I might be really interested in one, maybe even two aspects of a show. Uh, and I don't care about the rest, but I still have to watch them and I still have to try to be invested in them. Uh, so I can learn more about what's going on in the stories that I am invested in. And so I feel like something that a lot of shows are struggling with right now. Um, and this is my personal opinion. It's why I, I struggle to watch shows quite frankly. Um, is the balance of keeping me invested in every aspect of the show and all of the side arcs that are going on. Um, it's one of the reasons that I think. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I think sex education is so good, particularly season one. Um, while there are lots of side stories, uh, they did such a good job at getting me invested in all of the characters uh, that I was okay with branching out. And as the seasons went on, the show definitely did. Uh, go astray in that philosophy and we did especially in season three got a little crazy with all the things that were happening and it did get to a point where i wasn't so invested anymore and i just wanted to get back to some of the main the main crew uh for the most part did a fantastic job uh if you go back one of the greatest shows of all time i think just in general uh would be breaking bad i think a general audience would say that that is one of the greatest shows of all time um and Breaking Bad uh, is through throughout the entire show about one story. It's about Walter White, and sure, sometimes we might we might go astray, we might explore something going on with like Jesse or his wife or whatever. But at the core of the show, but all of those side stories are serving the core of the show, and that is Walter White's journey into becoming uh, a meth lord. Uh, Sex Education season one in particular, you have all these side stories, but all of those stories are in service of the primary objective, which is the relationship between Otis and Maeve. Uh, And then, and I'm not saying that that is the only way that show should be done. Uh, While it's definitely my favorite, uh, probably because it's more, it's more movie like. I feel like, I think one of the ways that shows should be surprisingly aren't used often enough, in my opinion. Uh, is ways to tell a grander story than what you can tell in two hours like you can with a feature film uh you know with that like you can explore these other characters but if you took the primary stuff if you took the primary uh goals and everything you could probably still create a feature film there but having that that extended runtime multiple episodes uh, you can explore a few different characters and things and bring them together and you can explore everything can kind of just take a little bit longer and it can feel a little more natural at times. Uh, But I'm not saying that things have to be done in that way. And I think a good example of that would be be Better Call Saul. Um, And I think that in general right there is just, uh, I think mentioning Better Call Saul after just talking about Breaking Bad is just an example of uh, Peter Gold being a fantastic storyteller. Uh, But Better Call Saul, like one of my biggest complaints with that, is that you kind of throughout the show, you have the stories of the stuff going on with uh, Jimmy slash Saul, but you also have the stuff going on with Mike and Nacho and all of this drug stuff going on. Right. And so you have two very different things and neither one of them really serves the other. Um, sure. A few times every season, the two kind of cross over, and they're able to, uh, sure a couple times a season, like the two will cross over and they're able to help each other out and they're able to push each other's stories in different directions. Uh, But the two stories, quite frankly, don't really serve each other. They're all pretty independent. You could have two different shows um, about these two different characters and would work just fine. Um, Both of them would work just fine. I think they would both be great actually. Um, But they are put together because as a whole, it is, it's a prequel to Breaking Bad, and it's in this universe. And so I don't know if the only reason it works is because it is a prequel, um, and maybe that's why, but I also think that one of the reasons it's okay is because I am so invested in both stories. While personally, I would prefer to only see the stuff going on uh, with Jimmy uh, slash Saul, uh, I'm also not typically too upset when I am getting stuff uh, with... Mike and Gus and all the craziness that's going on with selling drugs and working with the cartel. Uh, and so like there, there are different options, different ways you can tell stories. But I think a lot of shows now get a little carried away um, and they try to do the mul- multiple things. And so they try to have one central idea uh, like that, like the first structural TV structure. Uh, I like the first TV structure. So like the first TV structure example I gave, a lot of shows try to have a central idea and then lots of stories surrounding that to serve it. But they also have a lot of thing. but a lot of those side stories have nothing to do with the central point, kind of like Better Call Saul, that second example I gave. And so when you put the two together, it does not work very well for me at all. Um and I could go, I mean, most shows are like this now, and I just, I don't care. And quite frankly, uh, Rings of Power, on the surface, is a lot like this. You have, especially in the first two, at the start of the first two episodes, I was really concerned, because you have all of these different stories that, quite frankly, have nothing to do with each other. You have the stuff with the Harfoots, and then you have Galadriel on her mission, and then you have the Numenorians, and then you have Elrond and the Dwarves, and all of this stuff is happening all at once. And while it's cool and I'm invested in a lot of it um, and while it's cool, it doesn't, it doesn't really work together very well. Um, But one of the reasons that you have all these stories going on and on the surface, it shouldn't work very well. uh, At least in my head, that's what I'm thinking as I'm watching these first two episodes, I'm scared immediately. It's like seeing all the signs of this is, this is exactly what I don't like in TV. Um, but uh, they did a few things that made it okay. Number one, uh, I was immediately invested in the characters and their missions and what was going on. Uh, I feel like they were telling lots of real stories. I mean, Elrond and Durin are literally just, it's just them, it's like Romeo and Juliet, but for bros, They—they um, they just, they're just bros and they're trying to work it out. And also like they discover Mithril, um, and then on, and then you have, you know, this nice romance with, uh, the one elf and the one medic chick, um, you know, and they're trying to save their village, and then you have Galadriel, who's working with this really crazy dude, who's totally not Sauron, um, and they go to Numenor, Numenor Numenor's really cool, and you have a lot of really great individual stories, uh, that on their own work really well. And quite frankly, if this show was completely structured, like a majority of them and all of these kind of side arcs didn't have much to do with each other, uh, you could make this an anthology series, I think, and then just tell these individual stories. Um, and at first I thought that it should have been an anthology. Uh, but as the show progressed, uh, I quickly realized that, uh, there were little lines and, th- and threads that were going to be connected as the show f- progressed, and I think when those threads did connect, it only made the store the individual stories better. each of the s- individual stories were all serving each other, and I think that was really, really cool um when we got to episode six, uh Undoon, which I feel like has to be everybody's favorite episode I mean come on, the episode was fantastic. It kind of felt like a finale to Stranger Things, where all of these side arcs, because Stranger Things does kind of the same thing, really. Uh, just about just about every season, you have all of these different stories that have nothing to do with each other, um, and then at the end, uh, typically like the penultimate episode, they all come together and it all kind of all the threads tie together. Then you get the finale where it all you know ends. Um, and Undune uh, episode six, definitely felt very similar because all of a sudden you have all of these stories uh coming together uh very at least for me a little unexpectedly uh it made sense uh, but as i'm watching i'm thinking oh this is going to connect here and this is going to connect and now all these characters are going to meet and they're going to interact uh but at the same time they were still able to keep the at the same time each character was still going on their own journey. And so we're still able to explore those individual journeys, but now that they were together, they were able to help each other and push each other into the different directions that their story was going in. Uh, and that was really, really cool. Uh, and I, I loved it and I wish more shows would do something like that. Uh, you know, rings of power and stranger things are two perfect examples of having very separate stories that tie together really well. Um, and it's just done brilliantly, quite frankly. Uh, and I wish more shows would do that. Now Rings of Power did not do this perfectly. It was done really, really well. Uh, and I really liked it as a whole, but it was not done perfectly because you also have this side arc with the Harfoots. Um, and I get it. Hobbits, everyone loves Hobbits. They're famous. They're really popular. Uh, I, didn't, I don't need to know the origins of the Hobbits and how they used to be Harfoots and particularly with a story that has nothing to do with anything. Now this is only season one of potentially five. So maybe this story uh, will come into play a little more, especially with whoever this wizard is. My guess is Gandalf, but there's also pretty good arguments that it might be Saruman and, uh, so I'm sure it'll come into play later on in later seasons, uh, but for season one in particular, it was just I I was never super excited for the Harfoots. I was always entertained. It always looked really beautiful. It was kind of it was cool to see a different culture um, within this world, uh, but as a whole, I didn't care for the Harfoots, and I could have I could have gone without that entire story arc, um, but. Considering how much was going on uh and how how sometimes and how the writers of the show recognize that if we don't have time for the hardfoots, we're not gonna push them in like in episode six, Udun, uh I don't think we go into that story at all uh, and that's good it focus on story, not on maintaining uh a certain not focus on the story, not trying to make sure we're giving every individual story arc time in each episode, if it doesn't deserve the time or if the time isn't needed, then let's not give it that time, especially with episodes that are pretty much feature length, um, you know, coming in at well over an hour, uh, every time. Uh, now I want to wrap up the show by taking a second to dive in a little bit into, uh, honoring source material, uh, that was initially kind of the idea uh, behind a second segment, but I feel like it's just me. And so let's just, we're just going to make it all one big segment because I can do that. Uh, As I've gone through, I mean, you can't help, but compare, uh, you know, live action adaptations of books and writings and things to the source material. It's, it's going to happen. Um, And I feel like at a certain point, Now I'm going to tie all of this up together uh, with with now if I had to tie all this together with a particular theme, I would say that it really what this comes down to, uh, particularly with people who did like the show and people who didn't, uh, is how they how heavily they rely on or how heavily they value. Uh, honoring the source material and how they would define that. Um, Because I feel like if you, I mean, if you break down all of the points and things I've been making throughout this show, uh, I feel like that's really what it comes down to is how, how is Amazon and the creative behind rings of power honoring Tolkien and his initial and his original writings and his initial stories. Um, And for me, I think they did a really good job, especially considering all of the other attempts at doing it, uh, with the Hobbit and other video games and things like that. Uh, I feel like rings of power has done a fantastic job. Um, while yes, they have changed the story, uh, a bit. Um, some of the details, particularly with Sauron, um, with the crafting of the rings, uh, are entirely accurate. It's close enough, uh, with the format that they're telling, you know, with the episodes that they have, uh, the way that they're doing it makes total sense, in my opinion. I think the Lord of the Rings trilogy is, Peter Jackson's trilogy, uh, is the best movie-to-book adaptation or book-to-movie adaptation of all time, uh, closely followed by the Harry Potter uh, series. Um, And I think Harry Potter is a much better Example, uh, because with Peter Jackson's extended cuts, I mean, you get a vast majority of those books, um, except Tom Bombadil. That's the greatest cinema sin of all time. Uh, But besides the lack of Tom Bombadil in Peter Jackson's trilogy, uh, it is fantastic. Uh, But I think the Harry Potter series is is a better example uh, because those movies are a lot shorter and a lot, and a much more normal. Hollywood blockbuster movie length. Uh, because while yes, there are things that you can't include. And because of that, the books are always going to be so much better than the movies. Those films are fantastic, particularly the first three, uh, because those stories are so quote unquote basic. Uh, they're very simple stories. There's not a lot going on. Uh, the, those books are relatively short. They're the three shortest of the series. And so they are able to fit a lot more in, uh, but I think the the way that the Harry Potter series was done was really well. And while, yes, we didn't have Dobby uh, helping Harry discover the gillyweed before the second tournament in uh, Goblet of Fire, uh, like it was in the books, we got Neville giving him the gillyweed uh, in the movies. And at the end of the day, while that's a very small detail, uh, it made more sense for the films because Neville was a bigger character. And as we go through, it helped... Develop Neville's character um, in the shorter period of time that we were allowed to have with Neville as opposed to the books where you can have as many pages as you want with Neville because it's a book and you have a lot more time. Um, Dobby quite frankly, isn't as big of a character um, as an important of a character, I suppose, as you go on. Um, And please don't yell at me. uh, Let me elaborate further. Uh, Dobby's arc is, is able to be conveyed throughout the films uh, with his, two appearances I want to say um first in Chamber of Secrets and then later uh in Deathly Hallows part one um you're you're still able to get the uh the impact of what of why he's in Deathly Hallows part one I don't want to spoil it for anybody who uh is potentially hasn't read it or seen it yet uh which is a little sad if you haven't but you still get that full impact but when you See Neville grow throughout the films and you see him, you know, kind of taking a lead and and you see him showing his strengths and kind of seeing where he might be getting his confidence from. That really helps to build up in the last film where all of that kind of comes to a conclusion and Neville has his own side arc. And so like well, it isn't very accurate to the books um in that regard. Uh they did make certain changes that allowed them to tell a better story in the film format. Uh, And I think that's something that people forget a lot. I think a lot of times people just immediately say it makes sense. The book is really long. They only have two hours for the movie. So they're going to change things. Uh, And yes, that's true. Uh, And that is also what I'm saying. It's a little more, uh, there's a little more depth to that. Um, You know, there's, you have to tell the story that a movie uh, gives you the opportunity to tell. Uh, And sometimes you can go a little crazy, like uh, with the lightning thief, for example, and you just, completely go off your rocker and you tell a completely random story that has nothing really has no relation or correlation to the books at all. Um, I think, you know, book to film adaptations can be really difficult um, just in determining how can you use film to elevate what, uh, what the initial source material was trying to convey. And I think that one of the ways that rings of power was able to do this um, again, like with the detail, like, books can tell you that this place is really great, but actually seeing the, the vast just beauty of Numenor and, and all of everything that comes with that, uh, is so much more impactful. And you can do so much, you can do a lot of different things in a film format and you can kind of take some liberties in there and create something that looks really cool, uh, to help, uh, to help out- convey what the book and the initial source material was trying to say. And so, I think Rings of Power did a really great job at, at adapting the source material to the film-slash-TV format. Um, a lot of people disagree with me because it's not entirely accurate, uh, but I think that's okay. I don't think you need it to be entirely accurate. Um, as I said, Tolkien was from a different time, and so introducing diversity and strong female characters, I, I don't see that as a bad thing. I, I think that's fine. Uh, we love more diversity. Uh, I don't think it matters if a character, what the character, I don't think the color of a character's skin really matters in the grand scheme of thing. It's it's the character's journey, um, and if they want to make it more inclusive, then go for it. I don't I don't really mind too much as long as it's not hurting the story, which in this case it absolutely didn't. Um, so yeah, I think I'm gonna wrap it up there uh if you couldn't tell i really enjoyed rings of power uh but i am curious because there is like i said at the top of the show this seems like a very controversial show uh what were your thoughts on rings of power did you like it as much as i did did you not like it so much why or why not uh let us know on all of the things instagram tiktok patreon.com slash the popcorn hangover i gave a bit of a tease uh earlier uh, in terms of story structure uh I will say that next week we are going to be talking about another show uh, that is wrapping up and uh, it is one we've talked about a bit on the podcast uh, and that's, I think that's enough of a hint for you. Uh, You can figure it out Uh, with that. uh, Yeah, that's all I got for you. Peace.